Well, some years ago, a, a telemarketer rang me with a deal on a mobile phone plan. And when he explained the, the plan to me, I thought it might actually be a good one for my wife, Beth. But I wasn't sure. And so the telemarketer assured me not to worry, because if I signed up, there would still be a 10-day cooling-off period. And all I had to do to cancel the plan was call the number that would be on a pamphlet that he would send me in the post. And so I agreed and signed up over the phone. Well, as Beth and I thought about it afterwards, we realised that for various re reasons that the deal wasn't really a good one for us. And so when the pamphlet arrived in the post, I rang the number that was on it to cancel the plan, only to find out that that phone number had actually been disconnected. And so I rang the phone company's main telephone number. And after it had been on hold for some time, uh, the operator finally answered and told me that I'd need to speak to the people in the mobile phone department. And she asked if I would please hold. Oh, of course I can hold, I said. And so I spent the next 15 minutes listening to the enchanting sound of the panpipes, which was their on-hold music. Well, when the mobile phone department finally answered, they told me that who I really needed to speak to were the people in the special deals department. After all, it was a special deal. And so I listened to the pan pipes for another 15 minutes while they transferred me. Only to find out from the special deals department that it was actually the disconnection department who would be able to sort out my issue. And so more pan pipes until the disconnection department finally answered and they sent me through to the telemarketers department who then sent me through to the look we really don't care department who then sent me through to the let's rip out his soul and tear it to shreds department. And I kid you not, I kid you not, after eight transfers and three hours of soul-destroying torture, the lady on the other end of the phone told me that the people I really need to speak to are the people in the mobile phone department, which is, of course, where I started. Well, by, by this time, I had tears streaming down my face and I was begging this woman on the other side of the phone begging her not to transfer me. Please don't transfer me. Please let me speak to your supervisor. I'm sorry, sir, she said. Oh, that will not be possible. However, I will transfer you through to the mobile phone department. At which point I said, no, I refuse to be transferred again and I demand to speak to your supervisor. At which point she hung up on me. That was five years ago. And as you can tell, I'm still trying to get over it. <laughs> to this day, when I hear panpipes, I want to kill somebody. <sighs> well, has your patience ever been tested like that? Have you ever been pushed too far? Well, tonight we're going to hear about God's patience. And I can tell you from the outset that his patience uh, far exceeds anything that either you or I have ever uh, shown. But nevertheless, as we'll see tonight, it is a patience which has a limit. Uh, tonight we continue on in our series through the book of Jeremiah. Uh, if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now? Turn with, with me to Jeremiah Chapter 11, it's page 543 of the small print, 1190 of the large print Bibles. Of course, so far in Jeremiah, we've seen that God is furious 
with the people of Judah. In fact, so furious, he's about to bring on them the most terrible judgment. Do you remember? He said that this, his judgment is going to be like, like a pot of boiling water tipping over them. Like a, a lion ripping them to shreds. Like venomous snakes biting them. Like a, a raging fire consuming them. Like a scorching whirlwind sweeping over them. It's going to be utterly terrifying. But as we hear all this, it's possible for us to get the wrong idea. It's possible for us to think of God as nothing more than a a volatile, vengeful God who's eager to punish sinners. But you know, that would be far from the truth. In the beginning of today's passage, God reminds Jeremiah of his covenant, his agreement with Israel. One that he made with them 1,000 years earlier, just after he miraculously rescued them from their cruel slavery in Egypt. It was actually a very simple agreement. God said, listen to me and obey me and I'll bless you and give you the promised land. But if you don't listen to me, if you don't obey, then I'll curse you and you'll lose the promised land. That was the agreement, the covenant. But of course, it didn't take long for all the people to forget God and to ignore all his good commands. And so for the last 1,000 years, right up to Jeremiah's time, God has sent prophet after prophet to warn these people to repent. But they've refused. God showed extraordinary patience. A millennium of patience. But now, understandably, God has had enough. And so he says to Judah, that's it. Time's up. I've had it with you. No matter how much I warn you, you do not listen. And so the time of blessing has passed. It's curse time. Read with me from chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant, and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the man who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms I commanded your forefathers when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. I said, obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your fathers forefathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. I answered, Amen, Lord. The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your forefathers up from Egypt until today, I warned them again, And again, saying, obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them, or or better still, I will now bring on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. For 1,000 years, God has patiently endured his people's blatant disobedience. 
For 1,000 years, he's warned them to turn back to him. But now God's patience has run out. Now they've got to cop it. Because you see, this is no small-scale rebellion we're talking about here. No, it's all pervasive and, and absolute. It's like there's a, a conspiracy among the people uh, to resist God. And it's rebellion of the worst kind. Uh, they've abandoned the God who gave them everything and replaced him with, with countless idols of, of, of wood and stone. And everywhere you look, there are even altars to that despicable fertility god, Baal. See, this is no little rebellion we're talking about here. This is massive. And so now, understandably, God's patience has run out. Now he says, disaster is coming, Judah. And when it comes, go ahead and cry out to all your worthless gods. See if they'll help you. Because I certainly won't. That's right. You have refused to listen to me all these years. And so now I'll refuse to listen to your cries for mercy. Read with me from verse 9. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their forefathers who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant I made with their forefathers. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the, town, and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. See, God has been incredibly patient with Judah. But their rebellion has now reached an all-time high. They've, they've refused to repent. And so now time's up. God's patience has run out and his hand is now poised to destroy them. But though Judah's rebellion is so widespread, the fact is there are still some in Judah who are faithful to God, like Jeremiah, for example. I mean, here he is, courageously obeying God and, and warning people of the coming judgment. But poor old Jeremiah, people hate him because of the message that he brings. In fact, even the people in Jeremiah's hometown, his own neighbours, are plotting to kill him in order to shut him up. Can you imagine? Must have been awful for Jeremiah to live in daily fear for his life. And so Jeremiah looks around him and he, and he laments that God seems to let wicked people prosper. 
He sees faithful people like himself being oppressed and persecuted, while wicked people seem to be getting ahead in life. And so he questions God about this. Uh, Read with me uh, from chapter 12, verse 1. 12, 1. You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they've taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. See, Jeremiah is asking God, God, why do you let wicked people prosper while faithful people like me suffer? And so God answers him. But I doubt it's exactly the answer Jeremiah wants to hear. Because God goes on to say, actually, Jeremiah, uh, the fact is, things are about to get a whole lot worse for you. Now, even your own family, your own brothers who pretend to be on your side are going to betray you. So if you're finding life difficult now, then get ready because it's about to get a whole lot worse. As I said, probably not exactly the answer Jeremiah wanted to hear, but God isn't done. And he goes on to defend the fact that he hasn't judged the wicked As he does so, interestingly, he he refers to Judah as his house. He refers to Judah as his house. He refers to Judah as his inheritance. He refers to Judah as the one I love. You see, that's why he hasn't wiped them all out before now. Because Judah is his precious, beloved possession. And the last thing he wants to do is destroy her. That's why he has shown 1,000 years of patience. That's why he hasn't judged the wicked. But now, that patience has run out. Because for all the kindness that God has shown them, all they've done in return is roar defiantly back in God's face like a lion. And so now God's love for them has turned to hate. No longer will the wicked prosper because now they will be consumed in judgment. Read with me from chapter 12, verse 17. Chapter 12, verse 17. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me. Therefore, I hate her. It's tragic, isn't it? God has graciously held out his hands to this wicked people, but it's as though they've responded by slapping him in the face. Yes, wicked people have prospered under the patience and love of God. But now they will get exactly what they deserve. Because what's now clear is that Judah 
will never change. After 1,000 years, she's now proven herself to be beyond reform, completely useless. God says that Judah is a bit like a, a linen belt, a linen belt that's been uh, left out in the weather for a long, long time, and now it's, it's just rotted away, it's, it's perished, it's falling apart. You see, there's no point in keeping a belt like that any longer, is there? It's beyond repair. It's only worthy of being chucked in the bin. And it's the same with Judah. And so now God predicts the bloody devastation that's to come. He says that the people of Judah will be like uh, leather wineskin bags. Uh, leather wineskin bags full, full of wine being smashed together. You know, red wine like blood splashing everywhere. When Judah's enemies invade, that's what it's going to be like. You see, these people of Judah, they're bent on rebellion. So God's going to punish them all, from the least to the greatest. There will be no more pity. There will be no more mercy. There will be no more compassion. Time's up. Look with me at chapter 13 from verse 12. Chapter 13, verse 12. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other. Fathers and sons alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. God's been patient for the last 1,000 years, but no more. Now Israel will be invaded by a foreign nation and it will be awful. But that's not all. God will also send a terrible famine on the land. There'll be no rain, no crops, just starvation and thirst and death. And when it happens and the people cry out to God for help, he won't listen. Even if they fast, even if they offer sacrifices to him, he won't relent. The time of fasting and sacrifice will be over. The time for judgment will have begun. And even though all the other prophets in Judah are saying, don't worry, none of these things are going to happen, God assures Jeremiah that yes, they will. That those prophets are just liars who will get exactly what they deserve. Read with me from chapter 14, verse 11. 14, 11. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine and plague. But I said, ah, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them you will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, Prophets are prophesying lies in my name. 
I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries and the delusions of their own minds. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them. Yet they are saying no sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets will perish by sword and famine. See, those false prophets have taken God's long-suffering patience to mean that God is perfectly happy with Judah. But they're wrong. And now God's patience has run out and now nothing or no one will stop God punishing this people. Read with me these final disturbing verses from chapter 15, verse 6. Chapter 15, verse 6. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding. So I will lay hands on you and destroy you. I can no longer show compassion. I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land. I will bring bereavement and destruction on my people, for they have not changed their ways. I will make their widows more numerous than the sand of the sea. At midday, I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of their young men. Suddenly, I will bring down on them anguish and terror. The mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last. Her son will set while it's still day. She will be disgraced and humiliated. I'll put the survivors to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. And so ends today's passage. Yet another feel-good, heartwarming message from the cheery pages of Jeremiah. Hardly the stuff of Disney movies, is it? Uh, But today I, I hope you've been able to see something of the historical context in which these descriptions of dreadful judgment are set. See, God is not just some volatile, vengeful God who's easily angered and quick to punish, is he? No, he's been incredibly patient with this people. You know, when I was on the phone to that telephone company, I thought I was pretty patient. After all, my, my patience lasted the best part of three hours before I completely lost it. But it's not even like those people were trying to ruin my day. They were just clueless. Now compare that with the God of Judah, the holy God, stretching out his loving arms for 1,000 years to this rebellious, wicked people, warning them again and again and again to repent all the time offering to forgive them and bless them if they did. Well, that's just extraordinary patience, isn't it? In a league of its own. But the people of Judah refused to listen. And they just roared back at God defiantly. And so God graciously waited to the point where their rebellion was all pervasive and absolute even allowing wicked people to prosper at the expense of his faithful ones, waiting to the point that they showed themselves to be beyond repair, completely useless. 
And then and only then did God bring on Judah all the dreadful curses he promised he would in the covenant he made 1,000 years earlier. And only then did he refuse to hear their cries for mercy. But what of God's patience today, do you think? Well, the fact is, of course, we, we live in a different time in history, don't we? A time when God's old covenant no longer applies. Because remember, about 400 years after the prophet Jeremiah, God's own son, Jesus, came into this world and established a new covenant, a new agreement. Not just with the people of Judah, but with all people everywhere. When Jesus came, he came with a plan to rescue people from the curse of God that comes on disobedient people, like like you and me. Though Jesus was the only person ever to live a perfectly obedient life, he died a rebel's death, taking on himself the curse of God that we deserved. In rising to life again, he now offers all people everywhere the choice. Trust him to take the curse of God for you or face it yourself on judgment day. Because after Jesus rose from the grave and before he ascended into heaven, he promised that one day he would return to judge the living and the dead. But of course, after 2,000 years, he still hasn't returned, has he? And for 2,000 years now, everything goes on the same as it ever did. The wicked still prosper. God's faithful still suffer. 21 Egyptian Christians beheaded just this past week. People still scorning the idea that God will one day judge them. And just like with Jeremiah, it can leave us Christians wondering, what's God doing? In fact, in the book of 2 Peter in the New Testament, uh, we... uh, we read how Christians were already asking that question just just a few decades after Jesus' departure. But the Apostle Peter wrote to them to to reassure them. And speaking of Jesus' promise to return and judge the world, Peter wrote this. He wrote, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Now listen to this. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, friends, the God of the old covenant is the same God of the new. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he's still patient with the sinful people of this world. You see, that's why Jesus hasn't returned yet to judge the world. Because he loves the people of this world. And the last thing he wants to do is condemn people to hell. But just as there were limits to God's patience in Jeremiah's day, so it is now. As the Apostle Peter goes on to say, he writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
You see, friends, we should never think that just because everything in this world has gone on normally for the last 2,000 years, that it always will. Now, the day is coming when Jesus will return and he will judge all people everywhere, just as he has promised. And on that day, it will be too late to repent. Too late to cry out for mercy. Too late to be saved. Jesus himself described the coming judgment day as like a king's wedding banquet where his forgiven people will be treated as honoured guests. For everyone else, however, it will be too late. Jesus says that they will be treated like gate crashers. They'll be bound hand and foot and they'll be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, on that day, God will say, time's up and the time for mercy will end. And so, friends, what should we do with all this? How should we respond to all this? Well, actually, I think it's all pretty obvious, don't you? Of course, it depends on who you are. Friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you still haven't said sorry to God for your rebellion and accepted the forgiveness that he offers you through Jesus, then, friend, don't test the patience of God any longer, will you? It could end at any point. No, friend, you need to ask Jesus to save you from your sin. And you need to do it now. Friend, don't presume upon the patience of God. Don't pretend that it will go on forever. Because it will not. But today, God is holding out his loving and forgiving arms to you. So friend, let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus. Let today be the day that you go from the prospect of God's dreadful curse to God's wonderful blessings. But if you're here today and you are already a Christian, then I think what you need to do with all this is pretty obvious too, don't you? I mean, of course, first and foremost, it means don't ever stop trusting Jesus. Don't ever stop trusting Jesus, not for anyone or anything. Don't stop trusting him. Friend, he is your only hope on Judgment Day. So keep trusting him. And secondly, of course, it means that we shouldn't ever be discouraged, discouraged by all the wickedness that we see in this world. We shouldn't ever be left thinking that God's turning a blind eye to it all. Because no, he's not. He's just being patient with this wicked world. You know, in the same way that he was patient with you and me. He will deal with it at just the right time. So don't be discouraged. And third and finally, of course, surely all this means that we Christians should never squander 
this time of God's patience. We shouldn't squander this time of God's patience by keeping the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves. Oh, what a waste that would be. Now, instead, of course, we've got to get out there, don't we? We've got to get out there and we've got to warn the people of this world that judgment is coming. And we've got to support other people who are doing that too, don't we? People like our mission partners, people like Dave Bosma. What a significant ministry we heard about from him tonight. Let's support people like that. Yeah, friends, together, let's make the most of this time of God's patience as we share with the whole world the wonderful news that in Jesus we can escape God's dreadful curse and enjoy his wonderful blessing forever. Well, let's pray now and ask God to help us as we do all these things, shall we? Let's pray. Oh, dear God, um, we want to thank you now for your incredible patience with us and uh, with the people of this world. Father, help us all to never take your patience for granted. Father, we pray for those of us here tonight who are yet to find forgiveness in Jesus. Father, may this day be the day we go from your curse to your blessing as we put our trust in him. And Father, for those of us who have already done that, we pray that we would never stop trusting Jesus. Father, instead, help us to wait patiently on you as we live in this uh, wicked world. And please give us a, a sense of urgency in bringing the good news of Jesus to those around us before it's too late. For Father, we pray in the name of our wonderful, wonderful Saviour, Jesus. Amen.